Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. I would love for you to turn them on, turn them to uh, the book of Ephesians chapter number one. While you're turning there, I just want to say a word of welcome to any guests that we have here with us this morning. My name is Parker Smith, serve as a senior pastor here at Prospect Baptist, and we're delighted to have you here with us. Do us a favor. uh, You can fill out that little card, the perforated card in your bulletin, leave it in your seat. You can turn it in as you leave. We would love to make a record of your visit here with us and follow up with you accordingly. We don't want to, you know, bother you all too much. We do want you to know that we're praying for you and love to see you again uh, very soon. And want you to know uh, that we care about you and make record of your visit here with us. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to make an appeal uh, that may be a little bit different uh, in that I want to make the appeal that the resurrection not only has personal application, but also corporate application this morning. And so I'm going to speak to the resurrection of Christ through the lens of the local church. And so I just want to kind of give you a heads up on that. Turn this fan off just a second. That way we're not going through a windstorm. How's that? That's a good fan though. It'd really cool you off. <laughs> and so if I begin to sweat this morning, just, uh, just give me grace. And so I want to unpack for you the book of Ephesians chapter one. This is a very packed text. There's a lot that's going on here. It's honestly like a five point intersection where just a ton of things start to converge on top of one another. And we can go in about in different directions this morning. Obviously, we're not going to have time to trace all of the arguments. We're not going to have time to, to get into that. But just, just by work of reference, by work of reference, you look at this text, verses 15 to 23 this morning. It's maybe two sentences, maybe three, depending on your translation that you're using this morning. But in the Greek, in the original Greek language that it was written, it's actually one sentence. And all of these commas are placed in, and every single comma follows just this world of theology that the Apostle Paul is unpacking. So there's no way that we can do this justice in our time together this morning. And so I want to unpack, I do think it's fitting to understand the context of Ephesus at the time. This was a city that was filled with principalities and powers. We'll get to that in just a moment. But Paul is likely writing to this church from a Roman prison. He's likely under house arrest, but frequently he could receive visitors who would come to him. One would be someone like Luke or Aristarchus or someone like Timothy would come to Paul's side. Epaphras would come to him. And as they would come, they would keep him informed about things that were going on in the life of the local church that he had planted and all of these churches that he helped start. And so typically he would get some information and he would inform him of potential problems or heresies or theological problems that were going on with Within the church. Specifically, there was one that was brewing at the church at Colossae. It had to do with what theologians called the Colossian heresy. It has to do with Gnosticism or special knowledge and a diminishing of the deity of Christ. And it was growing and affecting the local church there. And one of Paul's friends, Tychicus, who was a native of Ephesus, 
comes to the Apostle Paul about the time that he is about to leave to go to the province of Asia. The Apostle Paul sees an opportunity that says, I can write a letter to the church at Colossae. I have some things that I need to say to them. Meanwhile, I have a friend, Onesimus, who is now a believer in Christ, who is in serious danger now because he is defrauding his master, Philemon. And so Paul, taking advantage of this opportunity, says, I'm going to write letters. I'm going to write one to the church at Colossae. I'm going to write one to Philemon. And I'm going to write a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he gives them all in the hand of Tychicus to be delivered. And so the book of Ephesians, Paul isn't so much addressing a specific context, though he is. And so if you read the book of Ephesians, what you'll see is he's painting with a very broad brush. He's painting all of these general realities and implications of the good news of Jesus Christ. He's doing that intentionally. But note more so, you know more about this city, the city of Ephesus, through the book of Acts chapter 19 and 20. Just some highlights there. You don't have to turn there this morning, but Paul had a very difficult time helping bringing the believers into maturity and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. There was a mysterious fascination with things of demonic forces or demonations and power among several of the people in the city. There they wanted to touch handkerchiefs that the Apostle Paul had. There was these sons of Sceva, these Jewish exorcists that wanted to cast out demons, and the demons show up and they say, Jesus, I know, Paul, I've heard of, but who are you? And so there's all of these, these demonic forces that are at work, a number of people practicing magic arts or deviant arts, and they were deeply embedded in a culture of deviation. There's someone there by the name of Demetrius. He's a silversmith to the shrine of Artemis. Artemis was the Greek goddess of fertility. And so he gets upset because his business is being destroyed. And so he invokes a riot on the apostle Paul. And the whole city erupts in the town of Ephesus and saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Everything within this city had to do about power, had to do about strength, had to do about with control. Rome was asserting their control over the entire empire. They were ruling and reigning in these areas. Further, the goddess Artemis was gripping the hearts of the people. Who can contend with the great Artemis? The entire world, so to speak, of the Ephesians was gripped. It was filled, the apostle Paul would say in Ephesians 2, with principalities and powers. That was the city of Ephesus. And so the Apostle Paul opens his letter to this local church and he says, You want to see power? I'll show you power. You want to see might? I'll show you might. And when you read Ephesians 1, as we will in just a moment, the Apostle Paul is saying, You want to see power? Here it is. You want to see sovereignty? Here's sovereignty. You want to know might and rule and reign? Here it is. I'll show you might and rule and reign. I will show you power. I will show you great power. I will show to you the great Jesus Christ. And that's the point the Apostle Paul is getting at. And so with that in mind, would you stand out of honor and reverence to the reading of God's word? And let's read together Ephesians chapter number 1, verses 15 through 23. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not, give, do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who have believed according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of God. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us. You would give us eyes to see. You would give us ears to hear this morning. Father, that we would receive your word and hear it in faith, that Jesus would go before us in this text and that he would make a way because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So, Father, by your spirit, help us to hear your word, to relieve it, to receive it in faith, and to not walk out of here unchanged. Help us to apply your word by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for it. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to call your attention to just three things this morning. The first thing I want you to see, all of this summarizes in the word power. Paul says, I want you to see the power of God in Christ. Number one, to see the power of God to save us. Look at verse 15 through 19. Paul begins this expression and his attitude and talking about the prayer for the Ephesian believers. He said, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. He continues now in verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of him. Here it is. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. God has power to save us. Paul says, he says, I thank God for you. I thank God that God saved you. I thank God that he opened up your eyes to the beauty of Christ and he opened up your need and saw your need for a savior. The apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, says that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to Keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. In other words, the apostle Paul says there is a spiritual hindrance that keeps someone lost. It's not just they don't have the cognitive ability. They have a spiritual oppression and spiritual blindness that they cannot see the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Christ. They are hindered by the God of this world. There is a blindness to them. And it isn't anything that you can desire or you to fix. You are blind, dead, and in your unbelief, you don't even recognize that you need Jesus. That's why you can hear the gospel preached, and it preaches every week from this pulpit. You can hear the gospel and not respond. Why is that? Because the God of this age has blinded the hearts and minds of those who are perishing and you are being held captive in blindness and you were in a state of perishing until God opened up your eyes in power and rescued you from the bondage of sin and the enemy. God did that. 
And so often, we, we say this often, it wasn't because you were smart enough or cracked the spiritual code of heaven. You weren't skilled enough to maneuver things. You didn't get to heaven through manipulation. No, you could not do anything in your sin. You were dead, blind, lost, hopeless, and perishing without Christ. But God, in power, through the power of his son, saved you. In Ephesians chapter 1, that's why the Apostle Paul begins with such explosive language in Ephesians 1. This is the context that he speaks of. Look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 3 through 13. Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have the redemption of his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to you and out all things to himself, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that you who were, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you were also, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, have believed him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Apostle Paul is saying over and over and over to us, God did this. God saved us. God saved you. And so often I preach this in the text because we have found a way to ascribe more credit to ourselves and diminish the work of God. Ask most people what salvation entails and they'll tell you about something that they did. The glory belongs to them. It's something that they did. They got wise. They finally did it. They finally decided. But no, the apostle Paul is saying, no, look, God saves you. God's the one who saves. God is the only one who can save. And I don't want you to think for one moment that you or the goddess of Artemis or the Romans authorities have any authority in the realm of salvation. Only God can save. Through the sovereignty, the rule and reign and power, Paul is begging us, what, or what will you emphasize in your story? Self or God? And the apostle Paul says, God saved you. Don't miss this reality. Don't attribute so much to yourself, but attribute much to God. Don't rob God of his salvation. It's not about your work. It's not about your glory. It's about God's work, and it's about God's glory. Rejoice in what God has done. Don't diminish what he's done. Exalt him all the more. Shout his name to the nations. Proclaim that Christ alone has saved you. And those who are still in darkness, even right now, who are perishing without Christ, I implore you, believe the gospel today. I invite you to respond to that end, to be no longer blinded or held captive, but to respond in faith to Christ. Love Christ. Look to him to save you. He is being so patient. Not wishing that you would perish, but, but all would reach repentance. God is so patient to you. You know how I know he's patient? Because you're still living even though you're in sin. He's patient towards you. And he desires that you would repent. 
in return. Only God has the power to save. Then the resurrection is proof. But he continues even more. God doesn't just save you. He continues having the eyes of the heart of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he is called, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who have believed according to the working of his great might. God has not just saved you and abandoned you. God has saved you and he is continuing his work of salvation. Paul says, I want you to know the hope. I want you to know the assurance that you have, that what he has called us to. I want you to know the inheritance which is yours in Christ, that God is actively working in you. God's power to save you does not stop in him saving you, but continues in helping you live and living through you, working within you. The same God who powerfully saved you is powerfully at work within you as well. And that will become very important as we take a turn to point number three in just a second. But secondly, I want you to see God's power to resurrect. Look at verses 19 through 22. It was according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above the authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. The Apostle Paul is going straight for the jugular here to dismiss any notion or to ascribe any power to anyone other than Christ. Paul says all of this great might was seen on display in that Jesus has been raised from the dead. No one claiming to be Messiah had ever been raised from the dead. God has raised him from the dead, and no one has ever seen that kind of power. Further, not only has he been raised from the dead, but now he is seated in the heavenly places. Okay, the Apostle Paul, you can stop there. Jesus is risen. Jesus is seated. We get your point. He continues. No, no, no. He's not just raised. He's not just seated. No, he is far above all rule and power and dominion in every name. Okay, we got your point. He's not, only, he's not only finished, he's not only seated, he's not only reigning, but he's reigning above every name. We got your point. In this age and the one to come, the Apostle Paul says, did I miss anything? Paul wants us to know who is in charge. And Jesus and Jesus alone is not just in charge of heaven. He's in charge of earth. He's in charge not of just this age, but also in the one to come. He's in charge not only in this age, but or in this name. In every single name, he is king. Everything is under his lordship. Everything is under his authority. And nowhere will you tread on this earth and not be under the authority and sovereignty of God. And he quotes from Psalm 8. And he continues to build this point of everything is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is the very hinge on which the entire New Testament and Christianity swings. He says, I want you to realize what God has done and what God is declaring through Christ. That through the resurrection of Christ, God has solidified everything Jesus claimed to be. He was true. His message was real. He's no false or would-be Messiah. He was and is the real deal. And because he is now risen, he is now Lord of all. And he is governing and ruling and reigning over all things. He is king over 
everything and the bedrock of the Christian faith and the bedrock of Christianity and the bedrock of the local church is that Christ has been raised. So much so, in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul would say, if Christ has not been raised, we're wasting our time. If Christ has not been raised, my preaching is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then you showing up here today was all in vain. If Christ has not been vain, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. My faith is in vain. I preach in vain. If Christ has not been raised, the church is to be pitied among all people. If Christ has not been raised, if the resurrection is not true, this is pointless. But he concludes with all of those things. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised. If the resurrection is true and it's true, it changes everything. It changes everything about your life. It changes everything that Christ is risen. He is Lord and everything is subject to him. Just read the New Testament. Stand in awe of a powerful movement of God in the book of Acts. That God is working through his redeemed people. Living in the reality of the resurrected King Jesus. It was the very anchor of everything that they believed. And it had massive implications for the way that they lived. Every single day they woke up to the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And it's true, the resurrection has changed everything. And then I look at the church today and I'm concerned that we have shifted from the bedrock of the resurrection and we have settled for lesser things. Lesser things have our attention. Lesser things have our motivation. My concern is that we've we've shifted from the resurrection of Jesus and it's taken a back seat within the church to savvy programming or good music or lights or a polished preacher or slick marketing and none of those things. None of those things can bring a movement of God or have the power of Christ and his resurrection. But all of them have this way of turning the church into consumers instead of living on mission that God has called us to. And so often, Lord, help us not to live this way. Once a year, once a year, we celebrate the resurrection. Just once. Easter Sunday. And we've made it more about a one-time event than it is about a reality that we live our lives in. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. He is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He's risen today and come back next week and he's still Lord and he's still reigning. Every single day he's reigning. Every single day, 365, 52 weeks a year, Jesus is still king. And may it never be that it lose its grip on the church today. May it never be that lesser things have our attention. Only the resurrection. Jesus is alive. He's alive today. And every single week, the church is together. And we come and we celebrate this resurrected King Jesus to say he has changed everything. And it's not just a one-time event. It is an entire life of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, that there is a crowned victorious king over all the earth, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't set his crown down because the event's over. He is Lord of all.
Thirdly, God's power in us and through us. Note the movement, how the Apostle Paul is moving. Look at verses 21 through 23. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I hope you see what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He's building. He's, he says this Christ that has powerfully saved you, Not only that, he's continually at work within you. He is risen, he is supreme, he is the risen king. He is ruling and reigning in this world and everything is under the authority of Jesus. Jesus is in control of everything in verse 22. He is the head of the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you see what the apostle Paul is saying? He's saying that this King Jesus, who is the head of the church, now sends his church out as the hands and feet of Jesus in the rule and reign of their very Savior and is using his church in the world and aiming to fill the whole world with his glory. See, the resurrection doesn't just have personal implication. It has corporate implications as well. It's it's all to be lived and exercised and seen within the life of the local church. The church is not an institution with programs and processes and procedures and structures and something to be kept and guarded. No, the church is a living organism under the rule and reign and the reality of Jesus resurrected from the dead, moving out in mission in the world. We are carrying the banner of Jesus, proclaiming the reality that Jesus Christ has been raised and extending his rule and reign into the world through the church. Everything is changed because of the resurrection. Death has been defeated. Hope has come to the world. Salvation can be found in Christ. And we go into the world. The church goes into the world. The body of Christ carrying that mission to say believe in Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is what the apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He says, he is the head of the body, that is the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace to the blood of his cross. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying to us that Christ is the head of his church and the church moves forward. How will Jesus go forward? Jesus goes forward through his church. That the authority of of Christ is the authority of his church moving in power, moving in strength, that Jesus is at work within us. That's why the apostle Paul would write in Colossians, he would say that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Church, we are the body of Christ. What a privilege it is to be considered a part of his body, to be involved in the very rule and reign of King Jesus. We are an extension of his kingdom going forth, the part of his body feeling all in all. We are his bride. We are the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. Don't take it lightly. We are the church moving forward in power. And the argument that the apostle Paul is making is that King Jesus, this ruling reigning, powerful King Jesus is at work in and through his body. This powerful, sovereign, 
almighty, all-reigning king is at work in the world and extending his rule and reign through his redeemed people, that is, his church. And so how does this change us? What does it mean for you today? It, has, it changes everything for us. And that King Jesus, he has the authority, and his authority is going into all places. God's aim in your life is to be in the local church and moving his mission forward to fill this whole world with his goodness and the good news of Jesus. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. That's what you see the church doing. The whole church, the whole New Testament mission is the bedrock of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings, and his kingdom is going forward. And you're a part of his body, and this message is going forth because Jesus has been raised in the church is proclaiming this good news to the world that all of our time, all of our energy, all of our money, our resources, our margin are all pointing to this reality that Jesus is alive and the mission of the church is to advance the gospel, is to go make disciples, is to present people mature in Christ. Do we wake up to the reality every single day that Jesus is Lord? And God is at work. He is filling this whole world with Christ, doing so through his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That the church has a responsibility to go in the power, rule, and reign of Jesus and to spread this gospel to all people and places. And through that, God is working through his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you think about that implication. How would that change the life of the local church? How would that change the life living under the rule and reign of Christ, living in his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all? Think of it this way. How would living as a member of the body of Christ under the rule and reign of Jesus, who is risen from the dead, who is the head of his church, the fullness of him, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. How might it change the way that you look across your driveway or you look across your yard and you see your neighbor in darkness without Christ? Would you see that as an opportunity to love them well, to invite them in as Jesus would love them, or will you continue to live contently with a distant wave and superficial politeness? How would living under this reality, how would it change your interaction with the, the waitress that comes and just ruins your relaxing evening with your family? Would you see it as an opportunity to extend grace or would you just want to be a jerk right back? How would living under the rule and reign of Jesus, living as a member of the body of Christ under the rule and reign of Jesus, head of the church, risen from the dead, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, how might it change the way that you view your job and the people that you work with? Will you see it as an incredible opportunity to speak the good news to them and remind them of the very grace that you need as well? Or will you just see it as a task that you do and some people that you work with? How might it change the way that you interact with the people that you spend your time with at the ball fields? Would you see it as a way of God aligning your life with non-believers and blessing them and loving them well? Or would you just see them as a means to exercise your hobbies? How would living as the member of the body of Christ under the rule and reigns of Jesus who has risen from the dead as head of the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, how might it change the way that you view the margin in your life as a blessing that God has given you to use it to invest in his kingdom and invest in others? Or would you just see it as an opportunity to numb yourself from the, from the dullness of life and spend your time on Facebook and Netflix in the evening news? How would you? How would it change the way that you invest in others? Intentionality. Or would you just see it as a chore? 
How would it change your attitude towards those in sin? Will you judge them or will your heart be broken for them? How would living as a member of the body of Christ under the rule and reign of Jesus who is risen as head of the church, this body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, how might it change the way that you view those who are hurting all around you? That God has sent you to see and love to least of these or will you see, see that it's turning a, a, a face away from them pretending like it doesn't exist? How would it change the way that, the, the, that you view the blessings that God has given you from your house and your financing and all the blessings that God has given? To say, this is just my stuff and I can accumulate more. It needs to be guarded or protected or to give it away and say, God, use it for your glory. How would living under, as a body, the member of the body of Christ under the rule and reign of Jesus who is risen as the head of the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, how might it change the way that you interact with those people who have hurt you or done you wrong? Would it be an opportunity that you can extend grace to them, the very same grace that you so desperately need, or will you view it as a way that you can hold a grudge and wallow in your own self-righteousness? How might it change the way, the way that you live in context with the community of the local church? To sit at the blessing and God's gift to exercise the good news and sanctify you in your walk with Christ? Or would you just continue to live justifiably and say, I don't need other believers in my life and I don't need the local church? How might it change the way that we respond and live in the midst of a global crisis? Does the resurrection have any implication for your life? He's risen. He's Lord, and he's sovereign. And in all of those things, I'll tell you how it would change it. In all of those spaces, in every one that I just mentioned, in every and so many more, to see yourself under the rule and reign of Jesus, a member of the body of Christ, the risen Lord, a part of his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When you realize the reality and power of the resurrection, what you see is an opportunity in every single one is to fill those spaces with Jesus and to fill it with the power of Christ and to say, every arena that I'm around, I insert Christ. I send his love, I send his message, I send his hope for the world. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Folks, if you think it's just about coming to a service, the local body gathering, the ecclesia, the gathered assembly is important. But church, we, not just only, we don't just have a message, we have a mission as well. And God has called us not to just live out a message, but to live out a mission. And folks, what you've seen for this last year is just, let's just be honest, just been total chaos. And this is the first time in two years that the local church is gathered on Easter. And what you saw for an entire year, you remember this this time last year, that churches just filled the, the, the waves, filled Facebook, filled social media with the message of hope. And that's good. The message needs to go forward. The message is important. We proclaim him. We proclaim the gospel. We go and make disciples. We teach. We preach. The message is important. <laughs> But Jesus didn't just give us a message. He gave us a mission. And my hope and my prayer is that not just us, not just prospect, not, but every church, every local church that takes the New Testament serious and says, we got the message out, we got it out, and to not stop there, but go 
in the mission that God has called us to, to go make disciples and to love and to lay down our lives and to see that the resurrection of Jesus is true and it changes everything. Not about just what we say, but the way that we live our lives. Not just about how we feel individually, but corporately. Church, let's not be a church with just a sound message. Let's be a church that takes the mission of God seriously. Seriously enough to reach this community. Seriously enough to say the resurrection is true. And good night, Prospect believes that. It's changed everything about them. Let us be a church that goes. That doesn't just have good things to say but has the power of the resurrection moving within us as a corporate people, moving to say the resurrection is true, and it's true, and it's changed everything. May we move from 2020 of getting the message out to 2021 until the Lord comes to getting his mission and to seeing his mission go forward into all places and to all people. You see the power of God to save You see the power of God to resurrect. And you see the power of God at work in his church. And the Apostle Paul would say in the book of Romans, he said, there's also another power. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. To the Jew, but also to the Greek. And I want to close this morning with that invitation that maybe today, You've been living under demonic forces. You've been living in this world. You've been living under the power of this world. And everybody else is in control. You want to be in control. You want to be the one that calls the shots. And maybe for the first time today that you would surrender your life and you say, you know what? I've tried to be in control. I've tried to be the one ruling and reigning, but I was a lousy king. Because the only true king is Jesus Christ. And he's the only one who has been raised from the dead. And he is the only one who can save you. And my invitation to you this morning is that maybe the power of God has been speaking to you. Maybe the spirit of God has been speaking to you this morning. As I spoke about only God can save. As I spoke about the power of the resurrection that you say, that power is not living within me. And maybe today you would repent of your sin and trust Christ and Christ alone for salvation. How about you? Would you respond this morning in repentance and faith? Would you lay down your life and say, I am not the true king, but Jesus is. And he is risen, and he is reigning, and he is Lord, and I submit my life to his kingship, his lordship, and he is my savior. Would you respond to that end? Let's pray. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.